Hello, Senior Pastor. Good to be with you again. Greetings and blessings, Pastor Hall. Another beautiful lesson coming from the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 as we're going through uh, this, this letter um, to the Ephesians. Uh, it is bringing about some really good principles that we can actually draw from, especially in the world that we live in today. And um, as we look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to divide it into three sections, saved by grace through faith, one body in Christ, citizens of God's household. And this will allow us to affirm that salvation is through grace alone and recognize that we are a part of a large body of believers. Um, sometimes when you're in a smaller church, uh, you kind of lose sight that you are a part of a large body of believers. This is a, a global church. It's not just here at Sunshine or over there at the church around the corner, around the way. Uh, there are so many people that are that make up this large body of believers and uh, of course you have different denominations and different divisions and subdivisions um, you know uh, different principles and so forth so on that lead and guide uh, different uh, bodies of believers but we are all connected uh, through Jesus Christ and that's what this is going to tell us today that we're all connected um, through Jesus Christ or Lord. Uh, in the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, which we discussed last week, Paul gave the believers a grand picture of their spiritual riches. These include not only the wonderful things they would see in heaven, but the wealth that was available to them for this life. And often when we hear the word wealth, we often think of money. Uh, but this is talking about spiritual wealth. Uh, this, wealth had to, this wealth had to be perceived and received, and it could only be done by faith and with spiritual senses. Now, Andrew Knowles in the Bible Guide says, Paul is writing to Gentiles who have become Christians. And it's very important for us to understand who Gentiles are. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, For centuries, Gentiles have been excluded from the special relationship between God and Israel. Right? Uh, and just... To, Explain quickly before I continue reading. Um, Gentiles are non-Jews. That's it. Right? Who are Gentiles? Non-Jews. Right? Uh, if you were not a Jew, then you were a Gentile. Didn't matter what part of the planet you were from. If you were not a Jew, then you were a Gentile. That's the quickest and easiest way to explain who a Gentile was. Okay, uh, so Andrew Knowles continued. In, in the beginning, God made humans in his own image. No person or race was superior to any other. Even when God chose Israel to be his holy people, and when you say Israel, 
Just think about, just think Jews. It was his plan to bless all the nations of the world through the Jews, through their light. Sadly, the Jews became exclusive. There was a terrible division between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews felt so strongly about their moral and racial purity that they made a point of keeping outsiders away. And I just want to pause to say, sadly, the church is doing the exact same thing as the Jews did back then, right? Keeping outsiders away. The church has become uh, somewhat of an exclusive club. And uh, because of that, there are people that are, or souls that are losing out on hearing the gospel. All right, back to the reading. In Paul's day, a wall forms a barrier to keep Gentiles out of the inner Jewish courtyards of the temple. There are notices warning that trespassers will be executed. Paul calls this the dividing wall of hostility in um, in verse 14 of, of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Jesus Christ has destroyed this wall and made peace between Gentiles and Jews, those who were far away, the Gentiles, and those who were near, the Jews. Through Jesus, I want you to hear that, through Jesus and his reconciling death on the cross, both Jews and Gentiles have access to God the Father. Paul declares the outbreak of peace. The old enmity between Jews and Gentiles is ended. Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility and made peace with God for both Jews and Gentiles. He goes on to say, this is uh, Andrew Knowles in the Bible Guide, instead of the human race, divided into Jews and Gentiles, there is now one new humanity united in Christ. The Christian church is just the beginning of this new creation, the new humanity in a new society. I just want to pause here. Um, we're going to be handing over to senior pastor in just a bit. But there is a, 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 a message or a teaching by Dr. Tony Evans. It's called From Grace to Race. Check it out. Uh, it covers Ephesians chapter 2 in relationship to the current you know, divisions, uh, the, the, the struggle between the races as we know them. He, he covers uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and he, he talks about the different the need to look at the racial division through Ephesians chapter 2 and I think it will be quite enlightening to you he is not singling out an individual race he is echoing actually what Andrew Knowles says here instead of the human race divided into Jews and Gentiles and you can say black white Hispanic Asian there is now one new humanity in humanity united in Christ because the church is not divided by race yes there are subdivisions of people that 
you know, because I grew up with you or because I'm from Jamaica or because I'm from Russia, then I may tend to go to a church where I'm familiar, that is kind of used to my customs and my culture and so forth and so on. We speak the same way. But I want you to understand that the church is not divided by race. That was never the intent of Christ. Okay? Christ is coming back, not for a white church or black church, an Asian church, a Hispanic church, a Russian church. Or, no, he's coming back for the church. Period. Okay? Um, so, and, and, and one more thing, he, uh, which was quite revealing, um, and it, you know, it's kind of cute, but it was kind of revealing. Um, Dr. Tony Evans talked about Okay, uh, in order to handle the skin problem, we must first handle the sin problem. Okay, um, and I thought that was that was something that you could kind of um, grab onto. You know, um, in order to handle the skin problem, you must handle the sin problem yeah. because the cause of the skin problem is sin. Okay. Uh, let's get back to reading, and then I'm going to turn it over to Senior Pastor. David Cooper writes, One of the greatest needs in our lives is the need for restoration. To restore means to bring something back into existence or effect again. To bring back to a former or original condition. To put back in a former place or position. To reinstate, to return. We talk about restoring relationships renovating antique furniture, reinstating a political leader, and returning something that was stolen or lost. These all demonstrate the idea of restoration. The essential meaning of salvation is restoration. To be saved means we have experienced the miraculous restoring power of God to make all things new in our lives, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, and relationally. Um, so that's the introduction. Uh, we're going to now go actually to the lesson, Ephesians 2, um, saved by grace through faith. We're starting at verse 1, of course. Senior Pastor, over to you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. And I do endorse asking everybody to listen carefully, intently, as you can. Because um, we don't want to be teaching this lesson over your head. And my experience with people is that we don't listen. We don't digest whatever is there. Our minds trade all over the place. And then we go and say we didn't get anything. But I'd like for you to be listening as much as you possibly can. Follow the scripture with us. And... Um, Paul continued this letter, this prayer to the Ephesians, and he told them that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, um, a person that is saved is one who has gone to God in repentance, confessed their sins, acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, and pledge to follow His rules, follow pledge to abide by his teaching um, 
to be a part of his church, his bride, and do everything that you can to get somebody else to go to heaven. That's a saved person. So we are saved, but not by works, but by grace. And grace is unmerited favor from God, which means we didn't deserve it. We have said it over and over again. Grace comes about by Jesus Christ, not by the president, not by the governor, but by Jesus Christ. And we have to exercise faith in order to receive that. You see, what was happening here is that the curse of death was pronounced upon us. We were guilty. And um, the guilty verdict was pronounced upon us. And um, Paul was talking about the former manner of the life of the Ephesians is that of death. And this came about because of our sins and our trespasses. Very simply, because of our sins. And sin is any unrighteousness. Any and all unrighteousness is sin. Right? And um, what do we mean by that? Sins are shortcomings. Trespasses are lapses. We lapse in whatever we have to do. And such was the awful state of the Ephesians. And Paul says, although you are in that former state, now you are de-quickened. Verse 1 to 3. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past we walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Talking about Satan. Verse 3, Among whom also we all have our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh. We just have to listen to our conversation. Um, I don't know if you have been, Facebook is having all kind of problem now because of what they didn't do because of what they should do, whichever one you term it. And um, you listen to what is going on, politicians fighting against each other, and they tell lies, and they do this. And it's the same thing with those of us who are sinners. We had our conversation, and all we talk about was the flesh, or in the flesh, the lust of the flesh, pride of life. And... Um, this was fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. No, the sinner can only sin. Can I pause there? Sinner only sin. Righteous people must do righteous work. Leave the sinner, let him dabble in sin, and reach out in righteousness to God. Now, uh, when, when he used the word dead here, he was not speaking about physical death, not only about the sinner's faith in the second death. It is the expression merely in a figurative manner. As sinners, the Ephesians had lived in a state of spiritual death. Um, Warren Whisper said, all lost sinners are dead 
And the only difference between one sin and another is the state of decay. The lost, derelict, unkid row may be more decayed outwardly than the unsaved society's leader. But both are dead in sin. We were born sinners. We talked about that, I think, last week or the week before. We were born in sin. The act was sinful. Shaping iniquity because we were conceived in sin. All right? And um, Paul, after his, his prayer, was reminding the Ephesians of the reality of personal sin. Like them, we must never forget our past. Somebody say you mustn't bring it up, but we must never forget. We are coming from sin to grace. Don't ever forget the past because then you won't remind yourself of what the Lord has done for you. Yes, we were dirty sinners, but God has saved us. So never forget our past, the condition from which Jesus saved us. Those memories are the best fuel for our gratitude. And you know how much time that word has come up for the, in the lessons that we are now teaching? Gratitude. We must pay respect to God. We must be grateful to him. Some people are not grateful at all. No matter what you do for them, they are ungrateful. Do everything you can. And there's one thing you can't do or one thing you say you want to and they'll cut your throat. But um, the memories will be our best fuel for gratitude to Christ for all he has done on our behalf. Paul describes Satan in verse 2, the devil, as the commander, the powers in the unseen world. He reminded readers that Satan and the evil spiritual forces inhabited the region between earth and sky. That's why sometimes you can get through your prayers. That's why sometimes you can get through your praises because the devil is in mid-air trying his utmost best to block it. But we must pray. As, 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 as somebody said, pray until you pray. Pray until you get the breakthrough. And listen. I'm coming from a generation where they kept up the altar until you get saved. It was not that they just say a little prayer and pronounce you as a saved person. No. They prayed for you. They lay hands on you. And until you feel something, I've always said that I don't judge people by the shouting and the jumping. That don't mean a thing because... I could jump the highest and my life is the worst. But what I judge people from is when I see the tears coming, when I see something is taking place in the heart, you know, then we know that something good is happening. Um, In the resurrection, Christ was victorious over the devil and his power. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the permanent ruler of the old world. The devil is only the temporary ruler of the part of the world 
that chooses to follow him. He has no power over you, no jurisdiction over you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, yes, we were dead in sin, but we are alive. The prince of the power of the air who rules the evil spiritual realm is Satan, whom Jesus called the prince of the world. Paul called Satan the God, common G-O-D of this world. Unlike our capital G-O-D, however, Satan cannot be everywhere at one time. He has no power. Only God can. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And neither can he know everything. He's still a created being, and he must use evil tricks to influence people. He holds sway again over unsaved humanity and also seeks to sway believers. Um, that's why you have so much trouble. I told somebody that this past week. All the devil is trying to do is to block your praise. He sees what you are about to do for God. He sees what the Lord has called you to do. And his purpose is to block you from doing that. Try to sway your way. Try to pull your way from what the Lord wanted to do. He longs for all people to live as children of disobedience. Because when we don't do what the Lord commands us to do, we are disobedient. In Ephesians 2, 3, we see human sinfulness is universal. The past life of the Jewish Christian, like that of the Gentiles, was dominated by the cravings of our sinful nature, the flesh. It's not merely the body, but the whole person oriented, moved away from God and towards his own selfish concern. Because of this, the Jewish converts had once been in as much danger of judgment as anyone else. The phrase children of wrath denotes those who deserve God's punishment. Sin brings condemnation. Let me say that again. Sin brings condemnation. We were rotten. We were smelly. We were good for nothing. But the fact that all people without exception commit sin proves that without Christ, we have a sinful nature. We are lost in sin and cannot save ourselves. Does this mean only Christians do good? Of course not. Many people do good to others on a relative scale. Many are moral, kind, and law-abiding people. Comparing these people to criminals, we would say that they are very good indeed. But on God's absolute scale, no one is good enough to earn salvation. Not by works, my friend. Not by works. We didn't. We didn't do works to do that is because of God's mercy why he saved us. On God's absolute scale, no one is good enough to earn salvation. We were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. Only through being united with Christ's perfect life can we become good in God's sight. Subject to God's anger refers to those who are to receive to receive God's wrath because of their rejection of Christ. 
So remember that, God's punishment. Um, we deserve God's punishment because sin brings condemnation. But here is what Paul says in verse 4 to 7. He says that we are quickened with Christ. So we were dead in sin. Have no hope. Have no use. Rotten. Smelling. Good for nothing. But Christ pick us up. He reached down his hand. Pick us up from the mire we play. And we are quickened with Christ. And Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy. What a letter. For his great love. Where it is. He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, even when we were good for nothing, he loved us. Even when we were smelly and rotten, he still loved us. And he has quickened us together with Christ. So Paul says, by grace, he has saved and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. Oh, yes, we can sit together. And can you imagine, let your mind go to that time when this age will be finished, when Christ comes back, and people of all nations, of all language, of all dispensation will come together and sit in heavenly places, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Here goes that word again, in his kindness towards us, to Jesus Christ. The phrase, but God, shows the graciousness of God in stark contrast to lost and sinful people. Against human sinfulness and rude rejection of God stands God's gracious acceptance of us in Christ. By grace we are saved. Although God cannot approve of sin because he's righteous, he shows his mercy towards the sinner. He shows his mercy towards us. He loves us and has made possible our reconciliation to himself. Anybody out there that is not saved, anybody out there feel wretched, feel rotten, feel good for nothing, know that you are a dirty sinner. Here, God is showing his mercy towards us. Mercy and grace are two companions. Show his mercy towards us. He loves us. He says, I love you before you even think about loving me. I love you with an everlasting love. And he has made possible our reconciliation to himself. We can be reconciled to God. We strayed away from him because man was made in a perfect being. But man strayed away from God. Remember Adam? Or oh, Adam strayed? And when God was ready for church. He couldn't go to church anymore. You've got to watch those people who stay away from church. You've got to watch those people who can give you a testimony of what the Lord has done for you. You know? Mercy is God's compassion for the helpless, issuing in action for our relief. Had he decided to destroy us, think about it, he would have been entirely justified and nothing could have averted this. Instead, God's rich mercy and great love brought salvation to Paul, the Ephesian believers, and us. Oh, my friend, go back and read how Paul got saved. He used to persecute the Christians. He used to bind them. 
used to bring them to Jerusalem on the chains and um, bring charges against them. But one glorious day as he journeyed on the road to Damascus, the Lord miraculously saved him. And hush, look at us, chief of sinners, no good, good for nothing. But the Lord save us. Shouldn't we send up a praise for his saving power, for his saving grace? Our being dead in sin is the repetition of verse 1. is a vivid contrast with the foregoing description of God and his love. A close parallel is found in Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can anybody stand up today and can anybody testify that, well, you are saved, but it wasn't God's mercy. It wasn't God's grace. Can anybody testify how good you were? And oh, you didn't have to have salvation. No, we were all born sinners, steeped in iniquity, not deserving him at all. We were dead in our sins, but God, but God, Sister Minister Sharon Cunningham word, but God, we were rebels against him, but God. We were enslaved by the devil and our sinful nature, but God. These may be the two most welcome words in all of Scripture, but God. God could have left us spiritually dead in our rebellion against him and in bondage to our sins, but he didn't. He did not save us because of, but rather in spite of. Let me say that again. He did not save us because of, but rather in spite of what he saw in us, I don't know. In addition to thanking him for what he has done for us, we should also show humble patience and tolerance for others who seem unworthy of deserving of our love and compassion. They may be spiritually dull, they may be rebellious, and even antagonistic towards God, but so were we. But God loved us. Anyway, can we do less for fellow sinners? Um, verse 5, in the previous verses, Paul wrote about our old sinful nature. Here Paul emphasizes that we do not need to live any longer under sin's power. The penalty of sin and his power over us were miraculously destroyed by Christ on the cross. He took my sin and your sin and nailed them to the cross and gave us Oh, victory through is God. True faith in Christ. We stand acquitted or not guilty before God. Can you imagine? Although we were guilty, that mercy and grace came along and said, Oh, no. Oh, we find you not guilty. Yes, we were guilty. But by his blood, he, he did not died on the cross. And he said, It is finished. Man's redemption. It's complete. You didn't have to bear any, any, any sin or any pain or any agony. You didn't have to shed your blood, but he did. And he acquitted us, found us not guilty. Amen. God does not take us out of the world or make us robots. We will still feel like sinning, and sometimes we will sin. Can I say that again? Although we are saved, we still feel like sinning, and sometimes we will sin. The difference is that before we became Christians, 
We were dead in sin and were slaves to our sinful nature, but now we are alive with Christ. So we know, we know what it is, our shortcomings. We know what it is that when we make a mistake, we can go to God and say, Lord, that did you wrong, forgive me. Because of Christ's resurrection, we know that our body will also be raised from the dead and that we have given the power to live. He has given us the power to live as Christians. These heavenly realms, our eternal life with Christ is certain because we are united in his powerful victory. Oh, praise be to God. Praise God has raised us up together with Christ, a further proof of the act of God, which raised Christ from the grave and brought him back to the land of the living. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. We can glorify him. We can feel good in Christ. We do not only anticipate resurrection and glorification at the end of the age, we also experience a present realization of the risen life in Christ and a participation with him in his, as in his ascended majesty on high. Oh, dead to sin, alive to righteousness. And C.S. Lewis said, look to God, sorry, look to yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look to Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Let me say that part again. It sounds good. You, you might be writing. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run, in your life, in yourself, that only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay is all you will find in your life, is all you will reminisce about, is all you will talk about. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in, everything else, goodness, gentleness, peace, faith. Oh, yes, and all the fruit of the Spirit will be thrown in. Oh, I want to see him, to look upon his face. God did everything in Christ with a single purpose in view. It was to demonstrate in successive ages the exceeding riches of his grace. And my friend, we are saved by grace. We said it earlier when we started this segment. We are saved by grace through faith. And Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of yourself. You couldn't bring salvation to you. The president couldn't bring salvation to you. The governor couldn't bring salvation to you. Your teacher in the classroom couldn't bring salvation to you. Not even your pastor could bring salvation to you. All we do is preach the word and encourage you to believe in God. You see, it doesn't come to work, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, my friends, believers, you and I, owe our salvation entirely to the 
undeserved, unreserved favor of God. We owe our favor to the unreserved favor of God. The means of salvation is faith, which is the necessary condition for man to be saved. Just faith is simply a trustful response that it, it, it is itself evoked by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we go to him and we confess, yes, I'm a sinner, but we acknowledge him. If you happen to listen to wrestling, there is a guy there that is called head of the table. And every week he says, I, I acknowledge me as head of the table. Well, we must acknowledge God, that he's Lord, that he's good to save. Um, if we don't do that, then faith will be misinterpreted. Um, Paul immediately explained that nothing is of the believer's own doing, but everything is of the gift of God. It, it is of the gift of God. And he said, when someone gives you a gift, do you say, that's very nice? Now how much do I owe you? No. The appropriate response to gift is, thank you. Yet how often Christians, even after they have been given the gift of salvation, feel obligated to try to work their way to God. You can't do that. You can't give enough money in the world. Yes, we are taught by the Bible and by our forefathers to pay tithes, one-tenth of our earnings, and to give a free will offering, but not any money in the world. You don't have enough money in the world to pray, pay for salvation. Because if it was so, the rich would have it and you and I wouldn't stand a chance. Yes? But all we have to say is thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your gift. Because our salvation and even our faith are gift. We should respond with gratitude, praise, and joy. Every time I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart, and into his course with praise. Always have a praise on your lips. When you know where you're coming from, look back, look back, look back at the things you used to do, and they are now gone. You remember them because that's where you're coming from. But he has cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered any more. We become Christians through God's unmerited favor. Not as a result of any effort, ability, intelligence, choice, or act of service on our part. However, out of gratitude for this free gift, we will seek to help and serve others with kindness, love, and gentleness, and not merely to please ourselves. While no action or work we can do helps us obtain salvation, God's attention is that our salvation will result in acts of service. We are not saved merely for our own benefit, but to serve Christ and build up his church. Say that again, Bishop McFarlane. We are saved to serve Christ and to build up his church. So those who are sitting down and doing nothing, those who are leaving and doing nothing, and think that you are right, it's worth if you have a license 
if, if the church or the pastor, the church and the pastor, let me say it that way, recognize your calling and your ability and gave you a license and say, go work for Christ. And if you do that, you know what's going to happen to you? I mean, you're waiting the balance in your phone wanting. You'll have to give account. You'll have to give account of your stewardship. I told somebody yesterday we were talking. We weren't saved. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to judge us off how much messages we preach. Yes. If we are found guilty, he's going to charge us for that. Or how many, how well we can sing. No. We must do work. Visit those in, in prison. Visit the shut-in. Do good for people. Oh, God, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And some people say, oh, Brother McFarlane, you're doing too much. Oh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Since you're not doing it, leave me alone and let me do it. Let me help people because that's where my reward will be. And if I come knocking at your door with a fruit or so, be happy to receive it. Don't, don't, um, I remember Bishop Lesmond Graham, former overseer of Jamaica, when, when I was a life minister and I was in evangelism, I never used to go out and if they gave me an offering, I accepted it. And he taught me, he says, don't stop the people from getting their blessing. Allow them to get their blessing. So my friend, working for Christ is wonderful. And we must do all we can because we are God's masterpiece. We are God's work of art. We are God's workmanship. Our salvation is something only God can do. It is this powerful, creative work in us. If God considers us his masterpieces, we dare not treat ourselves as others with disrespect or as inferior work. Oh, and I'm going to leave it at that and let that rest with you and let it sink. We must work for him because we are God's workmanship. We are God's poetry. Purpose to produce good works. Works play no part in the cause of our salvation, but we must demonstrate the consequence of our salvation by works. Yes, you got your, every man's work will be tried. And um, the books were opened. Another book. And all men were judged for the deeds done in your body. For the work that you have done. Oh, if you don't work for me, you're going to hear, depart from me. I know you not. If you don't work for him, then you have no reward to get. And some people are talking about, I'm working for a crown. The crown that we're going to get is a crown of righteousness. And, and can I tell you that when he comes back and sets up his kingdom, work will still go on. Uh, he says, I, I, you, you have been rulers over many. I will, uh, you have been rulers over ten. I'll make you rulers over many. Work will go on in the kingdom. Do all you can. Work, spread his name, call his name to others, build up the church of God. And let's go on to heaven. All right, Pastor. I've said, I've said a mouthful, I know. But it's nice. Take it away. One body in Christ. One body in Christ. Amen. Um, <laughs> I actually was making some notes as, you were, as you, were, you were talking, Senior Pastor. But one of the things I wanted to kind of echo, it says, uh, what he saw in us, I don't know. 
that's something that you said earlier. What he saw in us, I don't know because I, I don't want to say um, that we're the vilest of sinners. I would venture to say that some of us are the vilest of Christians. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, if we are Christians, we shouldn't be vile. And uh, as we go through this lesson, we're, we're called to be one body in Christ. Amen. We're called to be together, to be united, to be in unity with each other. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 11 and 12 says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. And I can only imagine, I don't think he was, but I, uh, I'm, I'm going to to say that he is, just for the purpose of this lesson. You know, I can imagine Paul just pointing at the Gentiles. Wherefore, remember that you be in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. I mean, these were, these were kind of bad words for people that were non-Jews, that you were Gentiles, right, that you were uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision. So you were called uncircumcised by the circumcised, right? Mm -hmm. You were called Gentiles by the Jews, that at that time you were without Christ. Oh, my goodness. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, having no hope. Can you imagine a world where you had no hope in God? They had no hope. And we can even put ourselves in that category because we were not Jews. We are not Jews. So we had no hope. In verses 1 through 10, Paul has considered the moral condition of the Gentiles before their conversion to Christianity. Now, he reminds them of their previous deprivation in terms of their religious status as estim estimated from a Jewish point of view. Again, going back, the Jews were saying that they were Gentiles in the flesh. right? They were called uncircumcised or the uh, or un uncircumcision right and so in these two verses here uh, Paul um, used four phrases four successive phrases Paul describes the state of the Ephesians prior to their conversion remember the, the Ephesians were Gentiles who were converted to Christianity um, first, they were without Christ, meaning that they were apart from Christ. Uh, they had no expectation of a Messiah. Can you imagine a world where we had no expectation of a Messiah? Second, they had no rights of citizenship in God's kingdom because they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and you can see that the, the immigration issues that are going on now, well, well think about it in, in, the, in, in terms of the Gentiles, right? They had no rights of citizenship, none in God's kingdom, 
because they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were cut off from any such privilege by reason of their birth. They were Gentiles. Third, the Gentiles were not entitled to the benefits accruing to the covenantal community. They were in the position of strangers who could not claim the prerogatives of nationals. Wow. As a consequence, they lived in a world devoid of hope. And lastly, they were without God. And I think that's the most important one of the four phrases. They were without God. They were not atheists, for they worshipped idols. Okay? And I want you to understand that. They were not atheists. An atheist, atheist meaning, or, or means that you don't believe in God, or you don't believe there is a God, or Gnostics, right, uh, that possibly believe that there may be a God, but you're not sure. I mean, there's so many different types of atheism or Gnosticism out there, right? They were not atheists, for they worshipped idol gods. They believed gods existed, but did not know the one true God. And how many people now, right, I might even venture to say that they're not atheists. They may think they are, but they have other idols that they worship. Other gods in their life that take root, but they don't believe in the one true God. The moral and spiritual desolation of the Gentiles was complete. Again, they had no hope. Now, Dallas Willard, the divine conspiracy says, there are none in the humanly down position so low that they cannot be lifted up by entering God's order, and none in the humanly up position so high that they can disregard God's point of view on their lives. The barren, the widow, the orphan, the eunuch, the alien, and I may add the Gentile, <laughs> all models of human hopelessness are fruitful and secure in God's care. So regardless of your position or disposition in life or in this world, you can be fruitful and secure in God's care. Amen. Uh, now let's turn to Ephesians 2, uh, 13 through 18. Let's read quickly. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And they're talking about the Gentiles there. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, 
so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Remember, as I said, uh, you know, that uh, earlier when I, when I talked about what was happening between the Jews and Gentiles. Remember I said that there was a terrible division between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews felt so strongly about their moral and racial purity that they made a point of keeping outsiders away. They kept outsiders away. Isn't that something? And I want to echo that point because I think that there's some of us that are doing the same thing in the church, that we're keeping outsiders away. Now Paul quickly turns from the tragedy of the Gentiles' former desolation to the joy of their reconciliation in Christ. Christ brought about the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile when he died on the cross. That's why denying the cross is significant. If you are a Christian, and well, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe in the cross. So for those people who are not Christians and they discount the cross, and they say, oh, it, it, it doesn't matter, it didn't exist, it didn't happen, that is significant. And that's why we need to preach the cross even more. Because it is the power of God to salvation. When Christ died on the cross, he brought about a reconciliation of Jew and Gentiles. Gentiles were not able or have access to the cross, to God, by way of the cross. It was not just the Jews now having access to God. Gentiles, that's us. There at the cross, he made two into one, removing the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And we can even broaden this conversation to say black and white, rich and poor. You understand? He made two into one. There had been a barrier, a dividing wall created by hatred. This middle wall of partition brings to mind the Berlin Wall that separated West and East Germany until it was torn down in November of 1989. Sadly, people are still divided by many barriers today, ranging from race to socioeconomic status, to educational attainments, right? PhDs looking down on, on those who have GEDs, right? The rich looking down on the poor. Uh, the elites looking down on the regulars, okay? So you can broaden the conversation to include different racial or socioeconomic 
uh, statuses and educational attainments. And the church has not been spared. It is time to change. It is time to change. And we are calling for uh, a change in the attitude of the church and in the attitude of Christians. Um, we must not reflect the world. We must reflect Christ. The removal of the breach between the two great divisions of humankind results from the reconciliation of both Jew and Gentile to God by the cross. The word reconcile here means an exchange of relationships as a result of Christ's work of reconciliation. Believers are provided access to God's presence. Amen. It is solely through Christ that both Jews and Gentiles now have access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's time for a change, brothers and sisters. It's time for a change. And it's up to us to reflect Christ and not the world because we are citizens of God's household. Senior Pastor, over to you. Oh, what a lesson, Pastor. Oh, what a lesson. So, my friends, we have new life in Christ. We were dead in sin and in our trespasses, but we are quickened with Christ. You are the quickened who are dead in trespasses and in sin. And we can testify that we are saved by grace. When people ask you, I don't know I'm saved by grace. All I know is that I was a sinner and I went to the altar and um, felt something in my heart. And I asked him to come in. And he lifted my heavy burden. And um, gave me his grace. And through his blood. And we of all, doesn't matter who you are, Jews and Gentiles. Jamaicans and Americans. Bahamians, Trinidadans. Wherever you come from, Bajans, wherever you come from, we have become one body in Christ. Where we, in time past, we were in the Gentiles in the flesh and call on circumcision. We are now one body in Christ. And we are now in Christ, not in anybody else. One body by the cross because he has abolished he had slain the enmity between us and we. Um, he came and preached peace to us who were far off that we might be nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Amen to that. Amen to that. The breach has been removed. The division has been removed. Yes, and we are one in Christ. We don't behave that way sometimes, but we should be. And now we are called. We have a new citizenship. Um, when I left Jamaica and I came here, I remember, I still have it on my phone, when I was given citizenship rights and I took my the flag of the United States and I was in smile and held up my citizenship paper and now we are, though we were far, 
And we have now become one in Christ. We are now citizens of God's household. We are members of God's body, God's household. Ephesians 2 verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. If I go any place and anything happens to me, the United States will send the soldiers there to get me out or their aeroplane to get me out because I'm an American citizenship. I have right. I have divine right. Oh, yes, my friends. And we are no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints, regardless of who they are, Spanish, Creole, no matter where, white and black. We are no more strangers. We, should we just stop acting that way, you know? And act and be in fellowship with the saints. And I, I said in one lesson that we taught, I think it was last year, that people sometimes ridicule you and backstab you and think you're not going to heaven because you don't belong to the, to the organization, let me put it that way, because the church is one body. I was going to say church, but the church is one body because you don't go where they go or you don't believe what they believe. Um, I have been coming for 40 years and something that we used to be taught back then, you have to change it and that. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, you remember those times when they used to tell us this? And, and I told you this a few weeks ago, a few months ago, that when I was coming up into the church, the, you couldn't get married and give your wife a marital ring. No, 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 it was a no-no. The ladies couldn't do their hair at all. It was a no-no, all right? And I, I used to question it, call me rebel if you want, but I used to question certain things. They couldn't give me good scripture for it because the scripture interpretation was completely different. And I, I've, I've lived to see where things have been brought back into the proper perspective and we can now worship together. Um, I don't have any problem. Some places I don't want to go because I'm not going to contaminate my religion. So if you believe that, don't bother invite me and try to run it over my head. I remember we sang at a, um, a church in Jamaica, and um, they were Jesus only. Uh, well, they weren't. They were the mother church, they called themselves. But Reverend VB was the MC for the program, and when we sang, the Holy Ghost did a move. And he got up and he said, yeah, this thing good, but, and Reverend B.B. One, was one of the gospel disc jackets top in Jamaica. He says, oh, they sing good, but they will not go to heaven because they are not baptized in Jesus' name. And I smiled, and I never said a word as a young man. And he came down, and I confronted him, and I said, Reverend B.B., as long as our paths cross, never you ever say or do that again. Because you believe that, I don't believe that, but I know what Jesus said. And I, I, I start to ask certain questions that he couldn't answer. But uh, we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the whole soul of God. 
Um, the first term strains is applied to outsiders in general, but in particular to short-term transient, something that is equivalent to tourists in our time. The second term foreigners were the resident aliens who had settled in the country of their choice. These are legal permanent residents known in the United States as green card holders who enjoy all the privileges the government provides but have no right to vote and can be subject to deportation such as has been the position of the Gentiles in relationship to the kingdom of God. So the Gentiles were in the same position. Yeah, they were green card holders, but they could be deported. And Paul says, no, 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 so it go at all. We are fellow citizens. We are no more strangers. We are fellow citizens with the saints and of the whole soul of God. You have right. When I got my documents, they said, you have right, Mr. McFarlane. Have right. And, um, you know, you see what those happened in, in Afghanistan the other day, that they took the plane and they took them out because they are citizens of the United States. The United States is responsible for you. Well, my friend, God is responsible for you. The church is responsible for you. Stop forming fools. Stop playing games. And enjoy all the privileges of God's new people. They are united with the saints of the past as well as with contemporary Christians. The Gentiles are members of God's household. And let me, let me just cap it here and then turn the rest to Pastor. A church building is sometimes called God's house. In reality, and listen, in reality, God's household is not a building. We have told you that from time to time. But a group of people, we, we have a building because we, we, we meet there to worship and share fellowship. So right now we can't even go. And if, if, if the building was, was, was God, then what would have happened? If the building was the church, then what would happen? All the church would be gone. I um, remind somebody the other day, there's the right thing since the pandemic came out. Uh, they never said to God, see, I shut down all your churches. And the Lord just, just laughed at him and said, yeah, you might close the building, but I'm in every home. My friend, we are the church. The church is made up of flesh and blood members united by covenant. God's household is not a building, but a group of people. He lives in us and shows himself to watching world through us. People can see that God is love and that Christ is Lord as we live in harmony with each other and in accordance with what God says in his word. We are citizens of God's kingdom and members of his household. God bless you today, my friend. Welcome. Welcome to the Church of God. Welcome to Sunshine Family Worship. And the church is made up of everybody, every denomination, everybody who call themselves. You have the New Testament. You have the Church of God. You have Church of God of Prophecy. You have Sunshine Family Worship. You have Baptist so-and-so. You have um, this name and that name. But all of us make up God's church. All of us. God's church is not one. It's not sunshine. Sunshine is not the church. Sunshine is just a part of God's kingdom. We share fellowship. Church of God of Prophecy is not God's church. 
alone, right? We all are in it together. We preach the same gospel. So welcome, welcome. We give you the right of citizenship. We give you your freedom. We give you the right to preach the gospel of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, Pastor Ho, take us home. Take us home. The temple of God. Amen. And in Ephesians 2, verse 20 through 22, uh, I think you, you pretty much summed it up, Senior Pastor. It's, it's, we, are, uh, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. When the Ephesians became Christians, they were immediately placed on a firm foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, we learn that this foundation is Christ himself. But here, he is the chief cornerstone of the building, which literally means at the tip of the angle. In verse 21 of the text, Paul expounds the significance of the building. The function of the cornerstone is defined as joined together harmoniously in the Amplified, uh, or bound and welded together harmoniously. This term embraces the complicated process of stonework by which stones are fitted together. The emphasis on ongoing building is brought out by the present tense of being built together. The goal is that the church should become God's habitation or residence, a biblical term that is frequently used to denote the divine resting place either on earth or in heaven. Formerly, God's earthly abode was thought to be on Mount Zion and in the temple at Jerusalem. Now, he makes his abode in the church. I remember, as senior pastor said, the church is it's not the four walls. That's the building. Uh, sometimes the, the terminology is incorrect. You know, uh, the, the 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 place where we worship is a gathering place for the church to come together and fellowship and worship God. Right um, now. He makes his abode in the church, and this is achieved only in the Holy Spirit, who is the means and the element. Again, quoting from the Bible Guide from Andrew Knowles, Paul writes, two famous temples dominate the popular imagination. In Ephesus, the temple of Artemis, uh, which is Diana of the Ephesians, is one of the seven wonders of the world. In Jerusalem, the temple of Herod the Great is also mightily impressive. But Paul says that God dwells not in a statue of a goddess, nor in an empty sanctuary, but in the lives of his people, his new creation in Christ. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. He is not dwelling right, in a statue or an empty sanctuary. He dwells in the lives of his people. Now, let's understand this in closing. The temptation to fall back on our own resources and think we can contribute something to our standing before God 
is all too human. We must constantly recognize that it is all of grace. It is all of grace. By grace are we saved through faith. Our new privileged position owes everything to Christ. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Our privileged position owes everything to Christ. He is the one who makes access to God possible. The cornerstone of the structure. And the one who enables us to grow into what we are meant to be. Just echoing and piggybacking of what the senior pastors, what our senior pastor said, you know, we're, we no longer have a green card. We are now citizens. We have a citizenship in the kingdom of God. And with that comes a, a certain right or privilege or opportunity that would have never come our way before. But by grace, it took all of grace to save us. It took all of grace to get us out of that rut, to get us out of that, out of the trenches, out of the muck, out of the dirt, and it took all of grace to give us what we have and to place us where we are. All of grace. That's a whole nother message. All of grace. It took all of grace to make you who you are today. And because of that, we owe everything to Christ. Every single thing to Christ. And we ought to praise him. We ought to thank him. We ought to worship him. For they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It took all of grace. Senior pastor closes out. All right, we've listened to a beautiful, beautiful teaching session. I hope that you gleaned something from this. I hope that you have made your notes. If not, then you can go back to the lesson. As Pastor O said, it's online. You can go back and digest and reminisce and, you know, think about it, what was said. And um, we want to pray for each and every one this morning. So let's let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. And I don't know what need you have this morning or what situation you're in, but the Lord is talking to you today. So bow your heads. Father in heaven, we thank thee today. We lift you up. We exhort you. Your Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. And if we believe in you, we will not perish, but we will have life eternal and life everlasting. We thank you today for reminding us that we were strangers. We were aliens. We were foreigners. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. But through your spirit, through your blood, you have raised us up. You have lifted us up out of the miry clay. And we have, we have become citizens 
of the household of God. We have become a part of your kingdom through your shed blood, through the opportunity, through the privilege, through the right that you have given unto us. Yes, you did it all on the cross. You did it all on Calvary. You did it all when you were when you were resurrected from the dead. Oh yes, and you said you have the keys of death and of hell. We pray that you will help us today. Oh God, that we will display our citizenship in Christ. We pray, Lord, that as people come to your church, you are the head of the church. We make up the church. Sometimes we don't understand everything. Sometimes we don't understand why people are critical. Sometimes we don't understand why people go through. Sometimes we don't know why people are upset. But God, we pray today that your spirit will draw us together. Help us to share fellowship one with the other. Oh God, we want to rejoice in you. We want to praise you some more. We want to be thankful for your many blessings. Draw us together, Lord. For when we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again, hope to see each other again, hope to rejoice again, hope to lift our hands in praise, hope to lift our hands in worship. And the greatest, Lord, is that we want to come home and live with you where we will sit with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some don't even understand. Help us to know our place in the kingdom. Help us, as you reminded us today, that we are called with a special calling and you want us to build your church. Help us not to be weary in this. Um, and for those who have lost their way, for those who don't know what to do, for those who know and they have their conscience shared with the hot iron, we pray that you will speak to everyone. Meet us at the point of our need today because we are all in line for our blessing. Bless us today. Oh God, heal us today. Speak to us today. Lift us up today. Anyone down in spirit today, we pray that there will be a lifting. We pray for every pastor, every church, local church, that is, every member of the body of Christ. Oh God, we look forward to that day when there will be no more separation, but all will be peace and joy forevermore. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for hearing us today. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the inspiration. And we pray that these words will fall on good ground and they will germinate and bring more fruit. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we say amen and amen.